When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 170, Erin Joy, business psychologist. And, and they're favorites because of how I grew and how I changed and what I learned about myself through the process of failure and through the process of making mistakes. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Erin, her work, her podcast, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 170. As always, thanks for listening. And now, on with the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Erin Joy. As the founder and executive consultant behind Erin Joy Business Coaching and Consulting, Erin uses over 25 years of experience in entrepreneurship, roundtable facilitation, business strategy, and executive coaching to help fellow female business owners launch, propel, and grow their companies. Her website is erinjoy.com. And before I tell you a little bit more about her, um, Erin, thank you for being here. Uh, it's, It's great to have you. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am doing well, and I'm thrilled to talk with you and your audience about my favorite mistake, what I learned, how it's changed my life. Well, happy to talk about that, and we'll learn more about your work and your business. Um, so, you know, Aaron has uh, hosted over 300 roundtables, 200 group coaching calls, 70 live events, and 1,000 online events, and the company continues to serve over 60 clients. Aaron's currently pursuing her PhD in business psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, so she can enhance her ability to connect with and support women in business on both a professional and an emotional level. And uh, she's also the host of a new podcast. So congratulations for that. It's called Erin Joy Talks Business. And uh, I'll encourage people to go find that wherever you're listening uh, to this little podcast. And um, congratulations. We'll, we'll talk about that more later on. Congrats on the launch. Thank you so much. I look forward to being as smooth and have everything worked out like you do one day, Mark. I'm getting I there. I stumbled. You have a through. lot more... You have a lot more episodes under your belt than I do. And it's a, there, there's, there's an art and a science to this. And I sometimes still stumble through things like a minute ago. And I, I'm, I'm usually not too proud to go back and uh, I'm usually not proud enough to go back and edit. I kind of stumbled <laughs> over her and here and, you know, uh, so it goes. It's on not, it's not, yeah, it's not worth it. It's not worth <laughs> it. And it doesn't matter, right? What really matters is the value that you deliver to your audience. And that's what you're about. That's what I'm about. And that's what matters. And every time I hear like a real professional broadcaster stumble over anything, it's not, I, you know, I, just, I think, well, okay, look, we're, none of us are perfect and I'm not going to be too hard on myself. It happens. Smart. That's a, isn't, that, isn't that kind of a leadership lesson right there that we have to give ourselves space and grace to fail? 
that's one of the core principles and themes of the podcast series here. And so from when we talked before and, and from the work you do, and um, you know, I'm sure your story is going to demonstrate, I think you're really aligned with all of that. So, you know, Aaron, what would you say, looking back at the different things that you've done in your career, what is your favorite mistake? Well, there really are so many, and there are so many that are favorites. And, and they're favorites because of how I grew and how I changed and what I learned about myself through the process of failure and through the process of making mistakes. The one that I really want to share about today is related to pandemic and the the trajectory I was on pre-pandemic. So leading into pandemic, I was heavy into a business model where I was preparing to franchise the round table or peer advisory group side of my business. And I loved the idea of making money off of my intellectual property. Folks say that experts say that consultants and coaches can really make serious money one of two ways. Number one being intellectual property. And number two being building a consulting team, a coaching team where you're profiting off of your team. And I made the decision to head down the path of intellectual property. So licensing or franchising my model. And this would have been a very heavy lift and a very expensive endeavor. And I was well down this path. I was just about to engage a franchise attorney and... I would have been investing $50,000 in legal fees to get the franchise disclosure documents where they need to be to really grow this side of the business. And it's not that that model would not have worked. It's that it would have taken a very long time to pay off. And it would have bogged me down um, where my model would have become me servicing my franchisees versus making a direct impact in the lives of women entrepreneurs and making an impact in the lives of more women entrepreneurs. But, you know, I I noticed, Mark, as I was reflecting on this mistake, um, which I've been reflecting on over the last two years, I had to let go of this idea that I had that intellectual property, that the intellectual property play was the right play. and. I had to let go in order to lean into other aspects of my business. And what that took from me is me letting go of an idea that I had fallen in love with. This is what entrepreneurs do. We, you know, we are innovators. We see opportunities in the marketplace and we go after them. And that's what I was doing. There is an opportunity for someone else (laughs) to provide this service to women entrepreneurs, but it's not going to be me. And the letting go of an idea that I had fallen in love with and that I had been working for 10 years towards and, you know, letting go of that was not easy. And, um, and yet it was the right thing for me. And I think that's, isn't that kind of part of the dynamic with a favorite mistake is that it's not easy to admit, but admitting it is the right thing so that you can yeah. move forward. So thank, thank you for sharing that. What, what I hear you saying is the mistake was spending time going down that path, but in a way you avoided what could have been a bigger mistake. Oh yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. I think it yeah. would have been a huge mistake 
for me to continue down that path. And so when pandemic hit, And in that first week in March of 2020, I pulled the plug on the franchise model. I knew that we were in this thing for 18 to 36 months. That was my assessment at that time. And that I needed to pivot because within 18 to 36 months, this franchise model was going to go nowhere. And so I had to let it go and respond to what was happening in the world and in the marketplace and shift. I was going to ask you, Aaron, what what was it about the pandemic? Because there was a lot of uncertainty there. Right? I work as a consultant in healthcare. I was working with the health system. We knew this was going to be bad. And and when uh, we decided, okay, well, I'm I'm not traveling there anymore. We we thought this was people in healthcare. We'll see you in a few months. Well, it was for me 23 months before I got back out on the road. And so you know there there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, we weren't using Zoom as much then as we are now. I mean, I'm curious, like what, I guess back to the, the question, sorry for my, my detour. My question is, I mean, what, what was it about the pandemic that made you think this franchising model wouldn't work? Was it because the roundtable was structured around getting together physically in person? Is that something that could have adapted to more of a virtual Zoom world? Or was it well, just too unknown? I think it was both. Um, Mm -hmm. It was the adaptation to Zoom didn't work. I did switch to Zoom for these peer advisory roundtable experiences for my women entrepreneur clients, and it didn't work well. It just, there are so many things that transferred to Zoom just fine. And there are things that did not. And a peer advisory roundtable experience is one of the things that did not transfer well to Zoom. And I gave it everything I had. And it was just obvious that it wasn't going to work. The other piece was that in-person meetings were clearly going to be off the table for a good while. And while none of us really knew how long it was going to be, I had a... um, kind of a beat on info coming out of Wall Street. And my Wall Street contacts were saying that they were bracing themselves for 18 Mm -hmm. to 36 Mm -hmm. months of volatility. And I took that on. I said, that's the mindset I'm going to take on. I'm just going to embrace that this is our new reality and that we don't know how things are going to look and that chances are pretty good. This model is not going to work under any circumstances, any reasonable circumstances for the next several years. And I need to let go, cut my losses and Mm -hmm. move forward. Yeah. And, and so I guess that speaks to the efficient markets theory of, you know, like, you know, a handful of people in one health system or even the people, um, you know, say a federal CDC level who were trying to figure things out versus the wisdom of the markets. That, that's an interesting um, insight that you were able to tap into. And, and, and thanks for sharing that. Um, what, I mean, so what was what was your pivot then after giving up this idea? Well, I still found myself and I still find myself today deeply committed to making a positive impact in the lives, in the lives, in the business lives and the personal lives of entrepreneurs. And so I pivoted to some endeavors that didn't produce income at that time, but I knew that I would leverage them down the road. And so when I let go of my entrepreneur peer advisory group roundtable model and the idea of franchising that, and I, I really devoted myself to supporting my local community in figuring out and making sense of early pandemic and put a lot of energy into 
pulling my community together and providing content for my community. I created um, the State of St. Louis Business Weekly Call with local leaders. I created the St. Louis Small Business Task Force. And I, so I, I put my energy into these kind of community involvement efforts, knowing that I would later turn around and leverage this effort and, and, and monetize it, which is yeah. what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So I used this early you know, pandemic experience when I was making a shift and making a pivot to invest further into my community of entrepreneurs, not knowing exactly how I was going to leverage it or monetize it later, but I knew that I would. And so that's where we are now. And I've launched a talk radio show in St. Louis, Erin Joy Talks Business. That's the podcast you mentioned earlier. It's both a podcast and a radio show. And I'm able to use and leverage those relationships from that community leadership into the success of the show. That's great. Um, that's great. You, you figured out sometimes these things feel like the right thing to do, even if the full path forward isn't clear. I think starting this podcast was a similar thought process for me. There's not really something to directly monetize, but I've learned a lot. I've met some great people. It's helped my thinking and you know, could lead to uh, some things here in the future, I think. Absolutely. I think that that's a difficult decision to make as a business leader is do we invest, do we invest, you know, in something that doesn't have a clear path to monetization right in that moment? And a small business might be able to do that and and be more nimble about that kind of effort than a large healthcare organization or a large organization. And so it was the right thing for me at that time. And it sounds like podcast, for an example, was the right thing for you at that time. And just like I had to let go of the peer advisory group, I mean, there were there were things about that community leadership that I did have to let go of. And what I'm focused on now is how do I now monetize? everything that I'm doing because I have invested myself and given myself to my community, to my local community, to the community of women entrepreneurs. I've given and given and given and given, and it's time to cash in. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one, one trait of entrepreneurs as, as you touched on earlier is testing ideas, evaluating ideas, not falling so in love with an idea that we can't shift or pivot or know when to exit, right? There's the difference between, I think, an entrepreneur who has one idea and that's their life's purpose. And even if it's a a slog for a long time, you know, for them, maybe that's the right thing. If if it's fulfilling some sort of purpose and it, it takes you know, time and stick to itiveness. I know that's not really a word. And then there are the quote unquote serial entrepreneurs who are like, well, okay, I'm going to try this. Nope, didn't work. I want to learn that quickly. Great. Shut it down, move on to something different. It sounds like you or, or how, how do you help people, you know, kind of learn how to let go? Because that might be easier said than done. Let go, move on to something different. Absolutely. That definitely relates to the why behind the initiative and why we are in this business anyway. And I find that so often the letting go gets tangled up in our concern for what other people will think about us and our you know, motivations that have us in business or in entrepreneurship in the first place. And for myself, I've recently uncovered 
after a lot of years of deep personal introspection. And I have recently uncovered that there was a lot more of me wanting to prove myself to people than I realized. And I think that my clients get wrapped up in that, having something to prove. Um, Maybe it's to their parents or their spouse, or in my case, you know, the kids I grew up with, the students I grew up with in my small hometown in Litchfield, Illinois, I realized, you know, I've been fighting to prove something to them. And so I think we have to first get to the bottom of why we're doing what we're doing. Because when we've got some maybe maladaptive um, or dysfunctional reason for why we're doing what we're doing, there is no clarity. There is no freedom to let go. There is no letting go happening because we're tangled up in the thing that we're doing. So I help people untangle so that they can be as free and effective and powerful in business as possible. And so the things you're saying there, um, to me, I guess that seems clear of why you have gravitated toward your, your PhD work in business psychology. What, I mean, how would you define business psychology? Is that somebody being serving as a psychologist to a bit to, to entrepreneurs specifically to business leaders, even if they're not an entrepreneur? Business psychology is an offshoot of the original body of work being industrial psychology or organizational psychology. And business psychology is a bit of an offshoot from that that really is focused on small and medium-sized companies and the intersection between business and psychology. And so I always liken that to the idea that businesses, entrepreneurial businesses will grow in relationship to the entrepreneur's growth. So entrepreneurs who are not growing personally and professionally, their companies themselves will be stunted. So I like to really work at the intersection of these two disciplines and take a very holistic approach to business and to my work with clients where the business owner herself is developing herself. She is bringing a kind of psychological lens to her work with her team, thinking about her business, thinking about herself more holistically, and then also partnering that with all of the tried and true business distinctions of great you know, operations leadership and management and human resources and marketing and all of the solid disciplines that we have to be great at in business. So it's a very holistic approach to business and to success. And it sounds like there are some really fundamental concepts when you talk about this definition of self. I mean, somebody could define themselves as uh, I am my business or I am an entrepreneur or maybe even something more broadly, like I am a problem solver or I am service oriented that might then lead to a certain business within entrepreneurship or or are there, I mean, how, how do you help someone figure out the right framing of self that encompasses their professional life and their whole life, their whole self? Well, it's different for everyone. You know, it really is different for each person based on their why, why are they in business? You know, when did they get into business? The the entrepreneurial journey of a a woman who's in her 50s, who's was always an employee in this organization, but now had the opportunity to buy the company. Her journey is a little different 
than someone who, let's say, is in their mid twenties and just has the drive and and can bootstrap or perhaps has access to capital from their parents or whatever the case may be. So it's very different. And, you know, I think that's really important that entrepreneurs are getting support and getting the right support for where they are in their journey. And there's no one right way or out of the box solution. It really mm-hmm. depends on each individual. Sure. Um, so I went, you, you, you talked about, um, and there, there, there was a video I saw on your website where you talked about having a 25-year plan. And I think, you know, there's, there's a, a thought I heard once, um, this goes back to um, quality guru, management guru, W. Edwards Deming, who was a big influence on me. And he talked about how, you know, he used this phrase that management is prediction, that we need to be able to predict. And then I think at some point test our predictions over time and, you know, so like what you, you shared in your story about you, you had a prediction that a franchise model would be fine. You, you explored that, you tested it, you, 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 you pivoted. So I'm, I'm curious back to your 25 year plan. Like I have trouble seeing maybe even five years into the future. Maybe I could use some help with that. But you know, when you have a 25 year plan, how specific are the details of that plan? Is it a high level plan that gives you wiggle room as things evolve? Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a plan that is high level that, that gives me room to change and to pivot and to adjust. Just like I discussed, you know, discussed a moment ago with the change from the peer advisory groups to these new models where I'm much more focused on group coaching. I'm much more focused on my mergers and acquisition services and one-on-one private coaching and and consulting with entrepreneurs. But going back to the 25-year plan, what's interesting about that is that I did, in fact, have a very clear vision of now, 11 years ago, about exactly what I wanted to do with my life, with my career, with my business over the next 25 years. And I've spent 11 years executing on that plan. And I'm on track. I'm on track with the things that I am doing to build my brand and educate myself and impact my clients. And it's a good thing that there's some wiggle room because 11 years in, as I see some of the motivation for my 25-year plan, I see some of the dysfunction in my motivation in the 25-year plan. I'm now rethinking things quite a bit. And I'm rethinking not the, not the, the um, content of the 25-year plan, but the context. I didn't know that the context included some, well, I'm going to show you. And I'm someone who's done a lot of deep work on myself. And this was hidden from my view. I didn't know that this was underneath the plan and underneath my motivation. So as I have, thanks to pandemic, thanks to my mistakes, thanks to looking you know, more deeply at myself at this time, I'm 48 years old. I've got two years of this pandemic under my belt. I'm parenting a middle school daughter. You know, it's a very dynamic and interesting and exciting and challenging time in my life and in my business. 
And so I'm using these as reasons to go deeper into myself. And it's like I'm getting a flashlight out and looking around into all the dark corners where I thought I had explored before why I do what I do and why I am the way that I am and how I became the person that I am today. And there were some things hidden in the corner that I didn't know about. And as I've been looking over there in that corner and seeing that my motivations aren't as pure as I would like them to be, they're not as authentic as I want them to be, that I've got more work to do, that I've got more healing to do to let go of trauma from my past that had me have something to prove to people. And so while I'm still on the same 25-year plan, the context is shifting and context is decisive. I mean, the context that we hold for anything determines everything, how we view it, how we relate to it. And so I'm now, I'm in the middle of a major transition. I might have to come back in like five years, Mark, and tell you (laughs) my later favorite mistake, because I think they're changing. Yeah. And I mean, a plan like that, a 25 year plan, like, is that, I'm curious, how did that, I don't know what the right words are. How did that reveal itself to you? How did you discover that? Was it kind of a uh, epiphany or did it take time to consciously say, I am going to develop this vision and this plan? Both. Um, I have always known that I was here to make an impact and to make a positive impact and to be as free and as self-expressed and as powerful as I possibly can be and to support my clients and my community in their version of the same. And so that is just like in my bones and how that has unfolded through the years has been, you know, some of the things we've talked about here, me supporting women entrepreneurs, hosting roundtables. I host a ton of events. I've got a radio show, a podcast. I, I love to produce workshops and big networking events and content. I want to give away as much as I possibly can to support other entrepreneurs and having great lives and great businesses. And so there's been a blend of just having that, that innate sense inside of me that this is what I wanted to do. And then combining that with my strategic thinking and strategic training around how to not only create a vision, but then execute a vision over a long time, a long period of time, because it takes a long time to build a business. It takes a long time to build a brand. And so I could just see, and I think this is just part of my um, skill set that I've developed is being able to see how to execute on a vision, how long it'll take, all the moving pieces, what's involved, what to execute on and in what order. It's just what I do. Yeah. And as you work with, or as you think about your own plan and as you you work with others, as life throws different challenges at us, whether it's pandemic or business challenges, what 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 can we do? How do you help people be more resilient so we can better adjust to those things that are unexpected? Well, I think for me that resilience really comes from a couple of different places. And this is where this is my framework for working with my clients. Number one, 
we have to look at what we have overcome in the past. And we know that resilience builds on top of resilience and that basically the more difficult things you go through, the more resilient you become and you learn and grow from each of these challenging times. And, you know, I personally have been through some very, very difficult times in the last 20 years. Um, really challenging things in my personal life while being a single mom and an entrepreneur and a graduate student. And I'm in one of those times now. It's definitely in a top five most challenging time in my life. And so I myself am looking at the things that I've done in the past and reminding myself that I can do hard things. I've done hard things before. And that, you know, when pandemic hit, for example, early on, this is not the case right now, but for the first two years, I was like, I can handle this. This is, this is, I've got this. I've been through really hard things. I know how to do hard things. What I'm experiencing right now is a little different. Um, And so in addition to knowing that we can handle hard things and looking at what we've handled in the past and what we've learned and really leaning on that and, and pulling that forward proactively, like really thinking hard about how we've gotten through these difficult things in the past, distinguishing what made a difference for us and bringing that forward into, into today. That's number one. Number two is framing these challenging times in some kind of a spiritual domain whether I'm not talking about religion, I'm talking about something that's more, uh, more spiritual and focused on the understanding that things are happening for us, not to us. You know, one of my favorite frameworks is the idea that the universe is always conspiring on my behalf. (laughs) And so right now in this moment, even though I'm in one of the top five most challenging times of my life, Mm -hmm. remembering that it's breakdowns that lead to breakthroughs. Really? Mm -hmm. That is the way it works. Remembering that the seed of success is found in every one of my major failures, Mm -hmm. that it's the really difficult and challenging and downright terrible things that have happened in my life that have provided the most growth and the most opportunity. And so those are the things that I focus on for myself and with my clients. Yeah. Um, And uh, again, our guest is Erin Joy. I will link to all of Erin's social media platforms and her her website again is erinjoy.com. But uh, something I I snagged off your Instagram and I'm going to, I'm going to print this out or just put it in my collection of, of quotes um, on, on the themes of this podcast. You just shared this quote. I'm going to read it and and hear your, you know, why, why, what it means to you or elaborate on it. So uh, the quote says, never beat up on yourself for what may seem like a mistake. It was necessary for you to walk that path to learn those lessons. And it's from Stimmet Chokta. Hopefully I'm saying um, his name correctly. But I, that, that's, 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 that's a powerful notion. And that's something we explore a lot here on My Favorite Mistake. Tell, tell us more about what that quote means to you. Well, I think that when we're going through these difficult times and when we make mistakes, knowing that walking through it is where the gift lies, I think gives us more strength to keep walking 
and to purposefully learn what there is to learn. When I look back on my life and I've made so many mistakes, mistakes in business, mistakes with men. I'm a single woman. I've been single for 18 years. Mm-hmm. I've made a lot of mistakes in business with men, with money. Those are probably three categories with, with the biggest mm-hmm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was doing the best that I knew how to do in that moment. And when you know better, you do better. And I mentioned earlier that I've been, you know, looking into the dark recesses and the dark corners of my life with a flashlight to see what else is there for me to learn? Where do I need to grow? What mistakes have I made that I'm making right now and don't even know that they're still mistakes? And so I think that overall, the journey is really about my journey, perhaps your audience, if they're interested in mistakes and learning from mistakes, is really about how to let go, how to let go, how to lean in, how to admit our mistakes so that Mm -hmm. we can learn and grow from them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's, there's a video I'll link to in the show notes as well. Um, I saw where you, you talked about letting go. And uh, as, as, as you've touched on here today, um, I want to ask one, one other question about your work, um, especially with, with women leaders and entrepreneurs. Are there, are there common mistakes that you, in, in let's say, in their career transitions, are there, are there common mistakes that you would help them avoid? Or is it more a matter of setting them up to recognize and learn from mistakes? I'm, I'm curious where you find the help people find that balance, maybe. Well, my work with women entrepreneurs is, and women executives is interesting in that um, women who are making a transition, you know, set, certainly letting go is a piece of that. We have to let go of the way things are now and be comfortable being in a state of transition in order to lean into a new state and move forward. And that's kind of a psychological change process that we have to get good at. And so women who are making transition in their careers have to be able to let go, have to be able to look forward and get the support of the people in their life to support them in their transition. Maybe that's their employer, their coworkers. Maybe that's getting people to look at them differently you know, to relate to them differently, to relate to them as the CEO of the company, not as a manager of the company, if that's the kind of transition that they're in. And, you know, the ability to strategize these kinds of moves, you know, to think about image and communication and and transition and letting go, you know, that's recommended to do that with an executive coach, whether that's me, that's you, that's others in the marketplace. You know, making these kinds of bold and major changes alone is not recommended. You know, going deep on strategy and support is what's recommended. Yeah. And then one other thing, um, I know know something important to you is not just working with the uh, women leaders of today, but to help build the next generation of women as leaders. You mentioned your middle school daughter and that next generation. What what do you think needs to be done, you know, to, to best close gaps in um, opportunity and uh, equality for, for women as leaders? Well, my answer might not be popular, but 
people in power, which are often men, often white men, need to wake up to the damage to our society, our entire environment, our capitalism, our economy, everything is impacted by the lack of equality for women in the United States, in the world, in the workforce. And so when I think about this question, I think less about what women and girls need to do and more about what decision makers need to do. And there's a lot of research that exists from amazing academics and work groups and civic organizations that tell us exactly what we can and should be doing in the United States to support women and girls and to create more equality and equity, more pay equity, for example. And I would like to see more leaders and decision makers leaning into that material, Mm -hmm. working with consultants, working with experts, and changing things in their own organization. Mm -hmm. I, I personally, I think that's very fair and accurate the way you framed that. So it's not a matter of what do girls or women need to do differently. And it's not, I, I, you know, it's not this paternalistic men need to help the women. Men need to help change the system that men, white men uh, have designed, designed and benefited from. And, and I have um, benefited from and. You're right. It, it takes, um, I think, you know, issue, issues um, related to gender or or race. There are similar things where I've talked to um, guests and friends uh, who are black or people of color who say, again, you can't put the burden on the people who aren't in that power group to change the system. They have a role to play, and the, you know, but like you said, the um, sort of the, the the predominant groups need to. Um, let go, maybe to use that's right. your phrase and let others in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a you. it's a big, it's a big bold conversation and one that I intend mm-hmm. to um go make some mistakes on because <laughs> I'm gonna because you know it's not a popular conversation. You know, it's folks not, who it, are it's uh, folks who are in power like the fact that sure. this there's this inequality. It creates more cash for their businesses and more, you know, profit for their shareholders and stakeholders. And there's no real benefit, you know, to making that change that they think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to go make a bunch of mistakes having yeah. this conversation in public forums <laughs> and right. I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, these aren't easy conversations. So I may feel like we do make mistakes or that we're about to, but, um, we need to have those discussions anyway. So, you know, Aaron, as, as you, um, you know, continue um, in, in the early days of your radio show and podcast, um, I, I, I think it's interesting how you frame it. Um, it sounds like you're looking forward to the new mistakes you're going to make. <laughs> I'm, that's what I'm telling myself, yeah. you know, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take that on you, me and your audience. We're going to take on looking forward to our new mistakes. Yes. Keep learning from them. And um off you go. So um, congratulations again on launching uh, the, the radio show and podcast. You know, you, you mentioned you. being challenging times. I think it shows resilience of being willing and able to launch something new during um, personally challenging times. So thank you uh, for sharing your, your story, your journey. I think it's, it's, it's great to hear about 
a near mistake, if you will, or a small mistake that prevented a large one. That's really powerful. So thank you, Aaron, for, for sharing all of that with us today. Thank you for asking. It's just great to talk about this with you and your audience. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you for being here. Again, our guest is Erin Joy. Her website is erinjoy.com. That's easy. It's a nice, short, straightforward uh, URL, erinjoy.com. And um, you can check out her show no matter where you are, Erin Joy Talks Business. Thanks. Thanks again, Erin. Thank you so much. Well, again, thanks to Erin Joy for being a great guest today. To learn more about her, for a link to her podcast and more, look in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 170. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. 